welcome to another episode of Pilates Elephants. I'm very excited to have the conversation that we're about to have today because uh, the person that I'm going to be conversing with is uh, a friend of mine and somebody I respect immensely professionally. Uh, and we're going to be talking about how to make a quarter of a million dollars a year profit in your Pilates studio. So not not revenue, but profit. Uh, so I'm here with Josh Richardson. Welcome, Josh. Thanks for having me, Raf. Oh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this convo. So, um, Josh, uh, can you please introduce yourself to the Pilates stratosphere? Right. Um, well, for, for those of you that uh, don't know me, my name is Josh Richardson. I am the director and founder of a firm called Growth IQ. Uh, we specialise in bookkeeping, accounting and CFO services, uh, which which all sounds super exciting uh, to lots of people I know, accounting. But um, for me, that's, you know, it's a language, it's a scorecard of how well your business is doing. And although we look after lots of other kinds of uh, businesses, I look after probably between 40 or 50 Pilates studios in Australia, um, but also, you know, the same amount of fitness studios as well. Uh, so, th- so I've got a good visibility of what works, what doesn't, uh, you know, what are the critical success factors, if you will. Um, and I've been doing it long enough now that I can almost spot it after a half an hour conversation with someone that's, you know, going into it for the first time uh, or who's been doing it for a year on their own without much help comes to see me. It's, uh, it's pretty cut and paste, I feel, the, the critical components of success. So I'm looking forward to talking about that today. Hmm. I'm looking forward to sharing with everyone. So um, it's that doesn't seem like usual. Like most, the average accountant, I don't imagine has like a hundred plus fitness and Pilates studios on their books. So like, how did you get, how did you kind of get into this niche? Yeah, well, interesting story. So I, I probably started as a undergraduate at a, an accounting firm when, you know, in 2009 or 2010, uh, working away. I love fitness. So I was, I was in, you know, I was playing Aussie rules footy and cricket and surfing and doing everything else on the side, like yoga and Pilates uh, and one of my clients at the time, you know, considering I was a 22-year-old accountant and, uh, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't one of the big guys dealing with clients, but uh, he got quite ill um, and he had a kickboxing gym uh, and he couldn't run it. So the, it went up on the market and I thought, right, why not have a go at running a business for myself uh, instead of just crunching away the numbers? And um, so I jumped into that in 2012. And at the time, there was 40 members. Uh, there was literally tumbleweeds rolling through this big warehouse space. It hadn't been looked after for a number of months and it was in dire uh, a dire state. But uh, four years later, uh, I exited that business and it had you know close to 600 members it was a thriving gym at that point or a group fitness gym uh it wasn't a, a pilates we didn't offer pilates but it was a group fitness gym and throughout my time doing that it's just uh obviously made a lot of connections with other fitness professionals in you know where i live uh which then word of mouth uh extends from there and now you know i'm working with people you know I've franchises all over the world uh, which is which is awesome. So, word of mouth is a lovely thing. Mm. And uh, full disclosure, it was relatively easy for me to, for me to get you on the show because you're also uh, the 
accountant, bookkeeper, and chief financial advisor for Breathe Education. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, uh, you know, I had no choice, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know there's a, everyone always has a choice, but um, I think it was, you know, it was hard for you to duck my calls, let's put it that way. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think we talk about a lot about this stuff anyway in our weekly catch-ups and, uh, you know, when we see each other. So it's good to, you know, document all of this in a podcast. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, all right. So to set the stage here, um, you have, uh, you know, like your company does bookkeeping and you are an accountant by qualification, but your main, um, your, you know, personally, your main expertise and skill set and real interest is in strategic advice advice to businesses on how to build a better business like yeah you know, make more and keep more of money right that is have I got that right absolutely well that that's where my passion is and I think you have to have a solid understanding of the bookkeeping and how all that works and a solid under can, uh, understanding of the accounting and you know what the compliance obligations are uh, and different people with different uh, you know, passions fall into those areas. So I've luck- luckily enough have some great managers that deal directly with the bookkeeping and, and the accounting. Um, but I just found myself being able to add the most value to people by l- basically looking at their numbers, looking at what they're doing and and converting the language of uh, accounting, you know, a P&L and balance sheet into something that an owner can understand and then go and action some you know, so action some things to make that bottom line improve. Yeah. And um, if you're listening to this and you're not yet excited by this conversation, you know, by this, the prospects of this conversation and you own a studio, you should be, and very soon you will be, because we're going to share some really gold nuggets with you on uh, how to, you know, really make a lot of profit in your studio because it is possible. There are people right now making a quarter of a million dollars a year in net profit. Like that's after they've paid all expenses. So, um, and that's, that's the, so you, for uh, Breathe Education, you, your firm does uh, bookkeeping, you do all our bookkeeping, you prepare our tax accounts, you advise us on minimizing our tax legally and all of that stuff. But I think the main thing that I lean on you for, you know, every week is strategic advice on our, um, basically our cash flow, our profit and loss and our balance sheet and just the, basically the, the business strategy and outlook. So, um, and that's what we're going to talk about today for, uh, Pilates studios. So, all right. So you've, you've got like 40 plus, uh, Pilates studios on your books and they're all, uh, basic, they're all in Australia, like you said, and they're all pretty much in capital cities, right? So they're all in like large, yep. densely populated areas. Yeah. Um, yep. So, you know, like caveat, if you're in like a, you know, two horse country town somewhere, maybe this doesn't apply to you. <laughs> um, maybe it does, but you know, can't, can't promise it. Um, and so, so what is the, you know, and in Australia, you know, this just sort of seems to be the model that has you know, thrived the best or is thriving the best at the moment. You know, I imagine most of those studios are fairly similar in terms of their basic configuration, right? So most of them would be like a reformer studio, say 10 to 15, you know, ref- machines in in the room, um, a single room, you know, plus a couple of toilets, a change room sort of thing. Is that, is that yeah. right? Yeah, 
Yeah, about that. Look, we've got we've got a few people who are operating out of a room in their house that might have enough room for four people per class, um, and that they're really happy with that, and they're making a great income for themselves, and they don't even have to leave their house. Yeah. Uh, you know, that that's two or three. Uh, and then on the other end of the scale, we have you know a facility that has enough room to fit twenty five people in a class and is running fifty or sixty classes a week. Uh, which yeah you know, is the other end of the scale, but yeah, as an average, I would say fourteen to sixteen bed studio, or a, you can fit fourteen to sixteen people in a class. Um, there's about one hundred and fifty square meters of space, I suppose, with the reception. Desk. I think that's fifteen hundred square feet. I'm just going to do quick quick Google conversion square feet to square meters, but I think it's about yeah. ten to one. Yeah, but yeah, so you know, they're they're. You know the standard lease, like an office lease in a capital city, is is what they're operating out of. Um, so I think for the purposes of today, we're just going to assume that's the that, that's what we're talking about. And I think those studios can quite comfortably make that quarter of a million dollars a year profit mm. uh, if they get a few basic things right. Mm. All right, and I just looked it up, and it's sixteen hundred and fourteen, sixteen hundred and fifteen square feet. So for those of you okay. in the imperial world. Um, all right, so all right, so first, your first question: um, What's the spread? All right, so you know, two two hundred fifty thousand profit is the upper end. What, you know, so what's the what's the revenue and profit? And revenue is how much money you make, so how much your customers pay you in a year, and profit is how much is left of that after you've paid all of your expenses, so your wages, your rent, your insurance, your marketing, you know, whatever else you pay. So you've paid everything, whatever's left, you know, between negative some amount and <laughs> 250,000 is that's your profit. That's your net profit. So yeah. So what's the spread, you know, revenue and profit bottom end to top end? Right. So yeah, top end, you'd be probably about 750 to $800,000 revenue and the 250 to $300,000 profit. Mm-hmm. Uh, bottom end though, you you know, is about four hundred thousand dollar revenue and no profit or negative profit in some cases. Uh, so it, there is a spread, uh, and I think you know over time it also depends how old the studio is, if it's a franchise, all that kind of thing. But over time, if you've been operating for more than three years and you've got that kind of space, I would you'd hope to be up around that upper level. Right. And so just to be clear, because you said we've got some people with, say, four reformers at home or whatever, or four capacity of four clients at home, mm. they're not in this equation, right? They're, we're considering them separate. We'll consider them separately. Yeah. But but as a guide, I think those people would really be around eighty dollars to $100,000 revenue and, most and they have profit. very low yeah. – yeah, it's all profit. Yeah. yeah. There's no rent. There's no nothing. There's a bit of upkeep and – I always like to include the owner's time in terms of wages to get a real profit figure. I think, uh, you know, probably um, tip number one is a lot of owners might work sort of 60 or 70 hours a week and they don't pay themselves initially so their profit looks great. Uh, you know, it might say $100,000 but when you work that out to an hourly rate, you're getting paid like $20 an hour. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I see it there. a lot. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, and and there's a time in everyone's business journey where that has to happen. Yes, so that's probably the other thing. You, you have to work up to the point where you're paying yourself a commercial salary and taking a dividend or a profit out at the end of the year. Yes, 
All right. So, um, so that's a pretty dramatic spread, you know, 400,000 to 800,000 in revenue for facilities that are basically the same size, same capacity, you know, same square footage, et cetera. And, yep. uh, you, know, z- you know, negative to 250, 300,000 in profit, you know, that is huge. Right, so I could, I could, I could go from, you know, so four hundred thousand with say, I don't know, fifty thousand profit, then I could double my revenue and five x or six x my profit if I'm in the top group. So when you, you know, I think that's a big lesson is when you double revenue, like if you have a good margin, um, when you double revenue, you often way more than double profit. Profit yeah, goes up well, by order weird. of magnitude. Yeah, with these business models, the costs are pretty much fixed. So the the only thing that might fluctuate is if you put more classes on, your wages bill goes up. But your other big costs like uh, rent, uh, repairs and maintenance and, and all that kind of thing is a fixed amount. So once you hit the break even, you, you really the, – the profit starts to go up dramatically. It's all cream or most of it's cream. Yep. It's all yep. cream. So that so they, that's why every extra reformer in there is an extra fifty grand a year to your top line, and probably of that fifty grand, forty eight and a half goes to your bottom line. Spot on. And I just think that there's lots of factors that cause that difference, but probably the number one thing that I'd be saying to new people that are just starting out or looking for a location is do your research on the demographic. Uh, you know characteristics of the location you're looking at Mm. um you know and you can get this data quite easily like in australia you know abs stats um might have a look for something in the us and the uk as well but it's all there right so you just Um, basically in australia that's the australian bureau of statistics and i'm pretty sure they have a census you know in most countries so you just go to whatever your national kind of bureau of statistics equivalent is you know it's like what is the population demographic of xyz you know, area, um, what's the age, what's the median household income, that kind of thing. That's what you're talking about, right? Spot on, yeah, and and then line that up to who your target market is and if the demographic of your area is uh, 60-year-old uh, men with an average income of $60,000, uh, well, and your product is suited to something else, well, then it's not probably not going to work as well. Right, and I think that is um, something that is so much overlooked by um, eager Pilates business owners when they start out is uh, who their market are. And I think often we, as Pilates professionals, we choose a market based on some group that we feel an affinity for. Like I feel an affinity for you know young mums because I am one, or for people who have you know back pain because I had back pain myself, or you know whatever it might be, or Sometimes it's just like, oh, well, I happen to live in a certain location, so I want to service people in that certain location because that's where I live. Um, It's just kind of like a a marriage of convenience, as it were, clients of convenience. Um, But like something that I think is so powerful and probably like you say, you know, one of the most foundational factors in, in your business success is like, who do you serve? And I think that Defining your ideal client, there are three, you know, big characteristics. Number one is they have to have a painful problem. Like if you've if you've got people who don't have a painful problem, they're not, you know, like they're not motivated to to solve it. You know, they're not going to pay money to for something they don't care about. Second thing is they have to be have to have money and commitment 
to solve the problem, right? So they have to be able to afford the financial cost and also be committed to the time and effort that it's going to take to solve that problem. And the third thing is you need to be able to find them, locate them. Um, and so, yeah. yeah, I think a lot of like, and I think the illustration for that is like, you know, if you're struggling with your marketing, you can't get people in the door, like there's lots of reasons why that might be a problem. But like, if you're, if you choose your market well enough, you actually don't need to do any marketing. Like think about yeah. if you're selling, I don't know, you got setting up some kind of fast food vendor stand in Australia or be like Suvlaki's or something in the US or probably hot dogs. I don't know, in the UK, it might be like a pie with peas on top or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> in Europe, it'd probably, I don't know, escargot or frog's legs. <laughs> um, uh, and you're, you're vending, you know, food by the side of the road. Well, um, you know, what's the difference if you're selling it, you know, at some busy city intersection where people are rushing past, you know, to get to their meeting versus imagine if you set up at like 2 a.m. outside the nightclub when the nightclub closes. Okay, and all of the three-quarter drunk patrons come stumbling out, you know, onto the street and they're starving because they, you know, had a belly full of alcohol and that all they can see is your hot dog or pie and peas or whatever stand. It's like, it doesn't matter if your hot dogs are shit, right? And it doesn't yeah. matter if you're not good at selling, like you're going to sell out those hot dogs pretty much whatever the price is too. It doesn't matter. So I think that the number one factor in success is have a starving, you know, have a starving crowd, <laughs> you know, eager yeah. to buy your stuff. Well, and, and the other, I think the other mistake is people try and get away from competitors or they try and create some distance between huh. other studios or other fitness studios or, or something that's offering a similar product. But, you know, how often do you see a, a McDonald's and a Hungry Jack's right next to each right. other? Uh, right. They are where the market is. So, right. from what I've seen, it doesn't actually matter if there's a competitor next huh. door or 200 meters down the road. Um, Isn't that interesting? Got- because we have, I think, a lot of us have a, I guess I would call it a scarcity mentality, where we're worried that com- there's kind of a zero sum. Like there's, you know, there's only a hundred customers in this suburb, and if that studio takes fifty, there's only fifty left for me, sort of thing. Rather than if there's more Pilates studios visible, maybe we'll actually create more customers. <laughs> you know, maybe the fact that that studio's got fifty customers and those fifty customers are raving about Pilates to their friends means that there'll actually be more people in that suburb who want Pilates. Totally a- agreed. So that's yeah, probably. I think yeah, the area is so important, and that's something that you can you can make a decision on before you even commit any money uh, is, is where you're going to do it. All right. So set up your hot dog stand outside the nightclubs at 2am or uh, in Pilates, you know, years. That is um, set up your Pilates studio in a suburb or a locality where your target demographic live and your target demographic should partly be defined by they can afford, they have a hair on fire problem that you can help them with and they can afford to pay you to help them solve that problem. Spot on. And then, and then once you've right. got your location, there, there's probably another you, – you've then got your, your key expense, which is the lease or, or the property cost mm-hmm. that you can put into a financial model. And that's probably the next thing, the next success factor that I would uh, suggest Pilates Studios owners start to look at. All right. So but before we get there, what's a financial model for Pete's sake? Right, so Is that like some kind of toy toy train or something like that. Yeah. Well, let's. In fact, let's take another step back. Uh, 
getting some level of business acumen is also really important or being able and willing to pay for the right advisors around you um, to help you understand a financial model uh, is, is really important. Yeah. Uh, from it's there, the financial. So sorry, you go ahead. Yeah. Um, so yeah, from there, there's three reports you need to know about. Uh, there's probably more, but there's three that I look at, and that is your profit and loss, a balance sheet, and a cash flow forecast. Now, all of those you can predict in advance with a certain level of accuracy or, or variance by um, doing a financial model or a forecast. And that's when you bring up a profit and loss or a P&L and you put in your expected sales and then all your expected expenses and when those expenses are going to be incurred. And then that produces a forecast for you. So you can actually see what your predicted profit's going to be at a given level of sales, which you can then convert back in your head to it's this many classes with this many people who are paying X amount of dollars per week. Right. And and at a basic level, you know, that's a that's a one-page spreadsheet or Google sheet or whatever that just says, okay, if we have this number of clients and they pay this much per class and they come this many times per week, you know, this is how much revenue we make. Right, and oh, then you can like a, you can like change it and say, right, and then you can just change the numbers and go, okay, well, what if we charge this much? And then it just all calculates it out for you and tells you what the difference. Or what if we had this different number of clients? Or what if you know, what if we had more reformers in the room? Or what? If, and you can just change those assumptions, those kind of basic, you know, building blocks of your of your model, and the, the sheet calculates it out for you and tells you, oh, you'll make this much revenue, and you know, and then you can make it more sophisticated. And say, okay, well, if we pay an instructor this much to teach the session, and we have, you know, this much overhead cost from our rent and our marketing and our blah 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 blah, add all those things in, we can say, okay, great. Well, if we run this number of classes with this number of clients at this price per session, and pay this much for our instructors and blah blah blah, blah you know, at the end of the month, we're going to have this much left over. Spot on, and you'd you'd be surprised at the number of studio owners who have a certain amount of, they look at their bank balance and they say, right, there's $30,000 in the bank, we're good to go. And it's like, uh, <laughs> what about all the, all the, you know, you've got your tax coming up and your rent's coming out. And so it, I, probably, you know, the next big success factor is having a financial model that you can adjust the variables. Yep. And I've actually got a spreadsheet like that, Raf, that I, I could definitely make it available for people to have a play around with um, just to put put their metrics in and I think with people looking for new locations that so we have a lot of owners that have one really successful location that's been going well and they're looking to expand they find a spot uh, so then we do their model for them and when they get down to looking at the capability of this new location lots of times it doesn't go ahead because I say, look, we don't think we could actually do that many classes per week or mm. we can't afford to pay, you know, we can't fit 14 reformers in this space. We can only fit right. 10. Um, so, it, you know, you, you're actually failing fast, I suppose, by doing that financial modelling. Right. And, the, you know, when you do model it out, you realise very quickly that the difference between 14 reformers and 10 it doesn't sound like that much because you're only dropping like, you know, four four fourteenths, whatever that is, like thirty percent, you know, a bit less, um, twenty eight percent of your of your capacity, but you're probably sacrificing ninety percent of your profit, you know, by doing that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So just like, you know, after you break even, like we talked about before, if, if, if you have significant fixed costs like rent and, in you know, insurance and whatever, they're all fixed and it means like if you sell more classes, your rent doesn't change. So it's a fixed cost. Well, just in the same way that if you sell more classes, once you cover your rent, it's basically all profit. But the thing is, it works in reverse as well. So if you if you've got fourteen reformers and you know you've got forty percent profit margin or thirty percent profit margin, you take out four reformers. Well, that basically all of your profit goes. <laughs> so you don't lose exactly. like you lost thirty percent of your reformers, but you didn't lose thirty percent of your profit. You lost all of your profit. <laughs> uh, that's exactly right. And um, and if you're right. just looking, sorry, right? If you're just looking at your bank balance, you actually you'll notice that it keeps going up initially. But you have to remember there's income tax and, you know, a goods and services tax and, and all that kind of stuff. So you actually think you're going okay at the start, but after you've paid the taxes and, you know, other overheads, there's nothing left. And this could be six or 12 months right. down the road and a lot of work down the road. Right. Right. And it's got, I think it's going to obviously vary, you know, from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. In Australia here, we pay our tax quarterly as a business. Actually, I think we pay ours monthly now, don't we? I like our best. Yeah, yeah stuff. depending how big. Yeah, monthly, yeah. quarterly, annually. Yeah. And so we probably, we probably get a little bit of all of the above. And so you, you and I've definitely been guilty of this and, and experienced it myself is you go along, you're looking at the bank balance going, oh, we're doing great. And then it's like, oh, shit. You know, we've got fifty thousand in the bank. We just got a sixty thousand dollars tax bill. You know, <laughs> exactly. And it's just—it's um, demoralising. It's so demoralising for people that sort of see that bank balance growing, and then it then it's all gone overnight. Um, so this yeah. cash flow forecast, which if you've got a good accounting software, you can quite easily put it together with the help of an advisor that knows how to do it, um, yeah. and it just gives you that that crystal ball. It helps you sleep at night. You're not laying awake thinking. What if, what if, you know, you can put it all in the yeah. forecast yeah. and you can get a worst case scenario and a best case. Right. And, and you know, so we have we have that at Breathe Education and, we, you know, you and I meet every week and you show us the cash flow forecast, the P&L and the balance sheet and, you know, you say, oh, this is how much we made last month, this is how much we're on track for this month, next month. Uh, and mostly, like, you're within like 5% in term when it comes to the expenses. Like you say, are we going to expend, you know, 323000 It comes out as like 319000 or something, you know. So it's usually pretty pretty close. Um, exactly. And, uh, and that and, and, you know, we also have now like a, a, a basically an envelope system where we have our bank accounts. We have three bank accounts and one's our kind of our main business trading account. Then we have a second account that is basically money that, is in our account, but it's earmarked for bills. So like, okay, we owe this much to the tax office next in next month or whatever. Or, you know, we've got superannuation to pay, which is like your 401k if in, you're in the US, um, contributions that we do for our, our staff, you know, whatever. Basically, it's 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 actually money that's in our account physically right now, but it's like, yeah, we owe it. You know, it's like- It's not your money. It's not our money. It's, it's in your account, but it's not your money. Yeah. Right. So we've basically got an envelope, you know, like- my mum used to do this. We had an envelope system in the kitchen. It's like there's an envelope for the shopping money and different envelope for the bills money, right? Yeah. So, so we basically do that except our envelope's got like $100,000 in it or whatever. In the I think, you know, at a basic level, what, what studio owners or business, just business owners in general can do is set up three accounts. You know, one's your trading account where all the money comes in and all the money goes out and that's the one with all the transactions. But every week, look at your financial data and work out how much you have to set aside for 
income tax, services tax, and payroll liabilities. And that's if you're using a good accounting software like Xero or, or Myob or Reckon or QuickBooks, that's just a click of a button. You can pull a report uh, and it's one transfer. So and it just takes so much stress and worrying out of your life knowing that you've got the money there. Yeah. And what's the third account for again? Third account is your savings. So any anything over and above goes into the savings or the you know the fund that I would earmark for a dividend payable to the owner at the end of the financial year or mm-hmm. reinvestment back into the business if you're trying to grow it. Right. Um, so and if you are growing, the like if you are so growing, I'd it- put in more like more into yeah. the reinvestment rather than pulling right. it out as a dividend. So, yeah, that's right. the other classic is people just pull all that profit out and spend it on fancy cars and and nice houses without actually growing the business. Right. All right. And so, yeah, we keep enough in that trading account to, you know, cover whatever it is, a couple of weeks worth of wages, payments or, or whatever. And then the yeah. rest, you know, obviously we put into the tax account, whatever needs to be paid into there. And then whatever's left over goes into the savings account into the other envelope on the kitchen table. Spot on. Um, all right. So the two you know, two big things we've talked about so far, number one, choose your location. And number two, do some financial modeling. And that kind of comes into choosing the location as well, because you might go, oh, there's this great studio in a place, in a suburb or an area where there's my demographic, you know, et cetera. But then you look at it and you do the, you do the math and you're like, oh, no, it can only fit 11 reformers in it instead of 14. And you're like, bum, bum. when you model yeah. that out, doesn't, you know, <laughs> doesn't work. Yeah, and, and for the sake, you know, you model it out, you might pay your accountant or advisor a couple of hundred dollars to work through that process with you. Right. I mean, a $200 expense of getting of getting to that decision earlier rather than in a year when you've, you've waxed a couple of hundred thousand is a lot cheaper in my eyes. Right. And if you're, and if you're listening to this and you've got an established business and you're like, oh, well, that doesn't apply for me because I've been open for one year, five years, 20 years, whatever it might be. Well, I think it, 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 uh, it can it can help you. Um, number one, uh, you could move your studio if you're in a dud location. Like, you know, just no no point keeping doing something if it's not working. Um, you can you can move. Businesses move all the time, and you know a lot of them thrive through it and find great greater success when they find a, a starving crowd. And the second thing is, uh, I I don't know. I'm I'm semi obsessed. But when I'm on Instagram. And I, I, I've, you know, basically 99% of the people I follow on Instagram are Pilates people. And I see, you know, Pilates studios a lot. And I'm just flabbergasted when I see some of the empty floor space in between, yeah. you know, the yawning, yawning tundra chasms, you know, in between like there's a reformer over there, then there's like a few, f- you know, multiple feet of, you know, just empty floor. And they're like, oh, there's a Cadillac. And then there's like 10 more feet of nothing. And they're like, fuck. Yeah. How are they making money? You know, like you've you've got don't have enough you don't have enough bodies in that space. So and and another thing I I, I hear a lot from people um, because like you mentioned at the start, like that four on one model um, working from home can be really profitable. Like you can actually make mm-hmm. make as good money in a four on one session as you can in a ten on one session. Because you can charge commensurately higher prices in a four, like you know, ten on one session you might charge twenty dollars, twenty five dollars. In a four on one session, you can charge fifty, fifty five dollars. You know, and so actually the total, like ten people at twenty dollars is two hundred dollars. Four people at fifty dollars is also two hundred dollars, right? So the total revenue you get for the session can be the same in a four on one as a ten on one. Um, but a lot of people I talk to at home, 
I say, oh, look, I can't fit four, so I only just do two. And it's like, oh, that's like going from five, 10 reformers to five. It's like you've cut out all of your yeah. profit. You know, <laughs> like yeah. there's no amount that you can charge at two people per session that makes it wildly profitable. You know, like you're going to have to charge like, you know, 80 bucks a session per person or a hundred bucks per person yeah. for a two-on-one and no one's going to pay that. So, you know, so that, I think that this, this, in microcosm applies equally to if you set up your back room or your garage or, or whatever it might be. Uh, and I would just like implore you, if you're setting up a garage or a back room or if you have a garage or a spare room or whatever, and you're thinking like, oh no, I can only fit two, like, no, knock out a wall, like take out all oh. of the furniture, like, you know, get smaller equipment, put the equipment closer together. Can you put one kind of you know, in the doorway or something like, how can you get four people in that space? <laughs> Figure it out. Yeah. I, I had an absolute classic uh, with a client who they, so they had 11 beds um, and they were, you know, waiting lists. They were always busy, but they were breaking even. Oh, and that's the worst feeling. When, I've so been there. Oh, yeah. And so they thought they were doing well and they were doing well, right? They were, they were busy and, and it's not all that- about the dollars on the bottom line. But the thing is, then your customers think, oh, you guys are doing so well, you're smashing it. And then you're like, oh, you know, you missed your class, you still have to pay. And they're like, oh, you greedy bastards, you're making all this money hand over fist, you've got full classes. It's like, dude, we're actually losing money, you know. (laughs) Yeah. But these people, I went up and looked at the space and they just had to knock a wall out and it would open up this this big open area that they were charging out. Let's just say it was $1,000 a month. So they're making $12,000 a year from this area. It was going to cost them fifteen thousand dollars to do the the building work and renovations, and ten thousand dollars per new reformer. But we could get four new reformers in. Oh each God. reformer each was one, worth it, ninety grand a year. Yeah. So they've crazy. gone from breaking even to you know pushing you know three hundred and fifty thousand profit just crazy. from adding four new reformers because they had the waiting lists. It's so crazy. yeah, look, yeah, that was an yep. interesting one. That's amazing. The other thing that I hear a lot from people and that I've been there with this one as well is like, oh, I can't squeeze my people so close together because then we can't do certain exercises. Like you can't do say legs, circles, legs in straps or, you know, big sort of movements, you know, with arms or whatever. And it's like, well, so is, you know, is the ability to do legs in straps every class, is that worth $300,000 a year to, you know, would you, are you happy to continue paying $300,000 a year? for the privilege of doing legs in straps or could you just do side splits instead and take 300,000, yeah. you know, like put your reformers closer together. Adapt, adapt. And and the clients, if they walk out sweaty and feeling good, like they've had a workout, in in my opinion, when I, when I had the kickboxing gym, uh, they feel great. They're not yeah. really thinking about the exercises you did throughout the class. Uh, they're just thinking about how great they feel as they're walking out of the gym. Right. And, and every, every uh, form of exercise has their kind of equivalent of legs in straps. It's basically an exercise that is, takes up a lot of space that limits how many people you can fit in the room if you do that exercise. So in CrossFit, it's double unders uh, or Olympic weightlifting, you know, just takes up so much space in a, you know, in a, in a studio. And if you just go, okay, well, we're not going to do that. <laughs> we're just going to have a squat rack or something instead. It Like you can suddenly double or triple the number of people in, in yeah. the same space. All right. So choose your location, model it out and get some, you know, somebody uh, good to uh, help you with that process, unless you're already, a, you know, a genius at spreadsheets and, and financial modeling. And 
Um, all right, so I just want to sort of sidetrack a little bit there. So you're a CFO, Chief Financial Officer for us, and you work fractional, so which means you work like, what do you work, you know, three, four days a month total for us, something like that? Yeah, yeah, on average, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think a lot of people, and this was certainly my perception when I had a smaller business, you know, that is like, oh, we're just a tiny business. We're way too small to have a CF anything, you know. <laughs> we didn't have a see anything you know we're just like oh it's just me and i'm taking the garbage out and whatever so cfo sounds a bit you know, overly grand like you know mckinsey and co would have that but not you know xyz pilates studio um but i think that's that's a big mistake and that's probably one of the things that's keeping a lot of people from experiencing the level of profitability that and growth that they want is because they're not getting the strategic advice and so what i've learned is you don't you can get really great advice from a highly qualified person for pretty cheap if you only get it a couple of days a month, right? And so I don't need, even at Breathe, like we're doing like three and a half, four million dollars a year at the moment in revenue. We don't need a full-time in-house CFO. Like it's not worth it, you know, to front to us to pay them. <clears throat> but for us to pay you four days a month is like it's like adding an extra five reformers into the studio for us it's like that just massively increases our profitability because we just don't make as many dumb decisions yeah and look i can give you some numbers on that so our our growth iq our firm offers the bookkeeping the accounting and the advisory or the cfo um we would call that your finance department so any business has a finance Mm -hmm. department even the even the person at home with with four positions per class right up to the big business has a finance department um the bookkeeping is quite easy to look at a value on that because it's going to save the owner time and what a bookkeeper can do in one hour would probably take you five or six and you'd probably do it incorrectly so you know if you put five or six hours into training your team or working on your marketing your sales so many other higher value tasks. Um, so, yeah, it's quite easily to look at that, the value return on the bookkeeper. Um, the accounting is just something everyone has to do. So, you know, there is a, a sort of set cost for that. But the advisory, it's very hard to put an actual value on that until you've been working with one for a year or two years. And, you know, an advisor will stop you from making those decisions that will put you one or two percent off track. And if you do too many of those one or two percent, you know, poor decisions, you're going to end up bankrupt. Uh, yeah. They're just going to keep you on track. Um, so it's so important. And for those business, you know, the average Pilates studio that we're talking about, the cost for someone that will do all your bookkeeping, all your accounting and be your advisor. You know, you, you get a meeting or you get them on call. Uh, you know, my clients can call me whenever they want and they'll get a response within 24 hours. Uh, so, mm. you know, that'll cost you between $900 and $1,200 per month uh, and that includes all your payroll. So not only are you going to save yourself probably 10 hours of bookkeeping and and work related to the finance per month, you're going to get that high-level advice and our, out of our clients who are, you know, we have a lot of franchise clients, so we get to see the the overall franchise data, and I know that our clients are in the top twenty or thirty of the entire franchise. You know, out of let's say there's a hundred total studios, and I like to see our clients are all in the top in the top um, half there, which you know clearly they're doing a lot of things right, but they've also yeah. got one common factor, which is the the assistance and the advice. 
Yeah. And the sorts of things that you, that a good advisor will help you with are just proactively. And, you know, for years I had accountants and I thought, oh yeah, I've got great accountants, but I, that's because I didn't know what a great accountant was. I thought a great accountant just does your tax at the end of the year and you don't get an angry letter from the tax department afterwards saying that you stuffed it up. You know, um, yeah, well, that's uh, like the bait. That's like that's what you get. You know, that's the starting line. Um, right. And then there's plenty more that they'll do for you, right? And so, you know, <clears throat> uh, you know, some of the things that you get from a great advisor are like they'll, you know, you proactively look at our P and L, our cash flow, and say, hey, I think you're spending a bit much on this area, or like, you know, you're not getting great return on this product that you're selling, or, you know. I'm worried about our cash flow. You know, if we look, if I look three months ahead, I'm worried about, you know, profitability in this month or whatever. So like it's very proactive stuff and and it picks up things that I, as a business owner, like wouldn't notice otherwise. And so I think that's the true value where you get, you know, advanced warning of stuff and you get, it's like having a little warning light on your dashboard in a car, you know, like that that tells you when the oil's going low or something, there's something in the problem. So you can stop and fix it before the motor blows up, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And, and I, you know, sometimes it's, it can be taken the wrong way. So let's say there's a CFO who's making all these decisions about their business, where to invest money. And they're, and they're, they're putting, let's say they put a lot of money into marketing, which is a tricky one because you have to put the money in before you start to see the return on investment. Right. So when I when I speak to business owners, I understand that, but I come through with an angle of what the numbers are telling me is that you've just invested heavily in marketing. Uh, I would expect to see the sales start to increase, and it's been three months and nothing has happened. So can you can you give me more information about that? And it's mm. it's not like we're saying you should or shouldn't. It's let's work together and sort of get to the bottom of what's going on here. Yeah. Yeah, and we've had so many of those conversations. All right, so what's the what is are there any other big things that s- separate out the the, <clears> the three hundred or two hundred fifty thousand dollar a year studios from the barely breaking yeah. even ones with the owners pulling their hair out? Well, this one this one's quite. I think your your structure is really important. So your tax structure, and that's whether you're a company or you're trading through your own name or you're a partnership or you're operating through a trust. So. And, um, you know, because we're talking to various parts of the globe here, you know, it's different for every country, but as long as your structure helps you be flexible with your tax liabilities hmm. and protects your personal assets from an insolvency event, they're, they're the two main considerations to think about. And once again, you'd set your structure up before you start trading. So talk to your advisor right. about that. Um, and the third one is... In oh, my hold view, hold, hold on, hold on, just before we get to that. So, just to unpack that just a little bit. Uh, so, you know, basically, are you a kind of you know limited liability company essentially, or are you sort of trading under your own auspices just as a free ranging member of society, um, or are you a partnership, which might not be a company? It might just you might have just like a formal partnership agreement with some other person or persons, uh, and that all of those you know have significant implications for it what you're able to do with your taxable income. Like if, you, if you're a sole trader here in Australia, like basically it's just you, you know, and basically every dollar of income that comes in is your personal income mm. and so is all taxable at whatever tax rate you pay. Whereas if you're a company, well, all of the company income is company income and then it gets taxed in Australia at a much lower rate than the personal tax income normally, you know, depending on how much you're earning personally. But 
then also you can distribute that as profit or you can invest it in the company or whatever. And so basically you can, there's lots of creative ways that you can go, huh, legally we have to pay a lot less tax now. Yeah, well, yeah. Let's say we we look at a company that's making two hundred thousand dollars profit versus a sole trader making two hundred thousand dollars profit. The sole trader's in the highest tax bracket, which in Australia is forty seven forty seven cents in the dollar after you know Medicare levy and, and things like that. Versus the company that's at twenty five cents in the dollar. Right. So think about all that extra money that you can then reinvest back into the company's growth that the sole trader won't have. Right. Um, not only that, but you get extended, you can lodge your tax later, you can pay it over a longer period of time. There's all these concessions there that are really helpful in a company structure. Um, whereas a sole trader, it's simple to set up, it's cheap to set up, but long-term, if you're growing a business, it's it's going to be really debilitating you know, because of the tax. So that, that's how you grow your wealth quicker is you reinvest back into your business you know, at a higher right. rate. Right. Um, and, and the other thing is what you said there about the liability and protection, asset protection. And uh, so, for instance, if you have a company, um, it's, you know, pretty normal practice, I think, for if you're married, for example, you know, one of the spouses owns the company and the other spouse owns the house, for example. So if, you know, if the company went became insolvent or someone sued or something like that, well, they can't take your house away because it's not actually your house. It's like, oh. <laughs> you know, they can take the company assets, but they the house isn't one of them. Whereas if you're a sole it, trader, then they can come after your house because that's an asset. Everything, all, yeah. all your assets. So, yeah, yeah um, that's why you really need to separate your your personal assets and wealth from your company assets and, and wealth. Um, and there's also, there's other levels of structuring you can do as you become more wealthy as well. Um, but I think the other thing to talk about is partnerships. And in my view yeah. and from what I've seen across my whole client base, they very rarely work. Uh, so you might be two trainers that just are working for someone and you're dominating your class as a fool and you think, why aren't we doing this for ourselves? You go out, set up a business and away, everything's all rosy. Uh, but your lives change and things change and out of all the partnerships I've seen, probably 5% work out. And they're amazing. They're, they're a particular kind of people that are amazing, um, but it, it's very rare that they do in the long term. And um, I mean, I've had experience of being in a partnership that, in the end, you know, didn't work out for me. And uh, one of the things that I've learned is that, yeah, things do change, and you think, okay, it's all great now. We love each other. We've got these common goals and everything. But later on, five years later, someone's had a kid. Someone wants to move into state. Someone loses interest and wants to do something else. Someone gets a job offer. You know, so you know priorities change, and you know you can't predict that. That's normal. There's no nothing bad about any of those things. It's just like yeah, life happens and people move in different directions. So I think uh, in my experience, and I don't know if this is borne out in the numbers that you see, but. If you have a solid partnership agreement that says, like, in the event that someone wants to exit the partnership, you know, here's here's how we're going to handle that. Um, and, you know, also an agreement that says, like, and here's how we make decisions and, you know, here's how we, you know, whatever. Like, basically, it lays out the rules for if I want to sell out, you know, what happens there. If you want to sell out, what happens there. If we both disagree, you know, how do we make, how do we break the deadlock, you know, so the, and it's got to be a written agreement, you know, put together by a competent lawyer 
that is makes so you know because it's all great when you're like holding hands and you know dancing in a circle around the maypole you know at the start of the business, but like five years later when you're both kind of like broken and tired and over it and over each yeah. other and yeah. <laughs> you know if, if one you just want to get out week, the other one's working ten hours a week like it, it, it's always right. it's so important to have that document to go back to and a good solicitor will ask you those probing questions that you sort of don't really want to talk about but you have to right. because they'll the solicitor will ask the questions you can then agree on something whilst you're in a good mindset um, and then it's in in black and white and you can refer to it if there's any you know ever a, a separation event uh, down the track yeah and another business I was in I wasn't a, an owner but I was uh, I was a high level employee there uh, uh, quite a while ago when I that was the last job I had like 20 plus years ago but um where one of the partners actually became incapacitated medically. And so what happens in that situation um, was his wife took over and she didn't get on with the other partner at all. Like they hated each other. Um, and so, yeah, so you've got, to, you've got to account for, you know, all those types of eventualities in your partner agreement. Um, yeah. Yeah. So do you, do you think that, I mean, obviously you, you advocate partner agreements if you are going to a partnership. Do you think that even with a partnership agreement, it's still not a good idea to go into a partnership? Well, then, yeah. So if you're going to do a partnership, get the partnership agreement. That's, yeah, you, you have, to, have to do that. But then financially, you have to remember that all of a sudden you could have a really good studio that's making 250 grand a year and you're both working hard, but that profit is split 50-50. Mm. So, you know, number one, you have to be making that much money. And are you happy with $125,000 a year? profit from a Pilates studio or is it better just do it by yourself and and take the whole 250 or do you have two studios that you both run separately so it comes back to your yeah. financial modeling piece right isn't it amazing and when you think about it like that like because I've, I've been both right so I had four partners in my previous business and I've got zero partners in my current business and I'd certainly prefer the current situation yeah. um uh but, you know, when you go into a business with partners, this is my experience, you think, oh, we're friends, it'll be so much fun, I'll get to hang out with my friends all day and do fun things together and work on projects and, like, won't it be fun? But then you don't think, oh, hold on, like, hold on, well, if we make $100, that means I only get $20, you know, like, <laughs> you don't think of that. And so I think what I would say now is, like, okay, well, if, if, if I was considering going into a partnership with someone, which I basically wouldn't, but just say I was con- considering going, I'd think, like, okay, well, if if I didn't partner with this person, could I just do this by myself? And if the answer is yeah. yes, it's like, well, don't don't go into a partnership. And if the answer is like, no, you, I absolutely it's like, there's no way I could do this without this person. So basically, okay, maybe I can make two hundred fifty thousand dollars profit by myself, right? But what if we're starting something that's four times the size and is going to make a million dollars in profit? It's like, no, I can't do that by myself, right? So mm. if that extra person needs to be additive to the size of the pie, you know, so that everyone's slice is bigger than if you just had your own small little pie, right? Exactly. Because, you know, if you needed a certain skill set that this other person brought, there's the trade-off between giving away your profit or 50% of it or just paying a consultant, you know, whatever it is per year to give you that skill set. Right. Uh, and often it's going to be a lot cheaper to pay the consultant and you can sort of turn them on and off when, when you do and don't need them. Right. Yeah. And in my experience, um, you know, as life situations change, you know, people in partnerships, you know, some of them work in the business more than others and, 
and then it's like, how do you handle remuneration for all that? You know, someone's working 60 hours, like you said, and someone's working 10 hours or, or whatever it might be. Uh, or maybe someone's doing, you know, relatively mundane admin tasks and the other person's doing all the marketing and teaching, you know? Yeah. So it's like, do you value yeah. those equally? You know? <laughs> yeah, um, and the, all right. So, yeah. so don't, don't go into a partnership unless uh, it, you know, unless it's, you basically couldn't do it yourself and that person is going to enable a higher level of business success that you couldn't achieve by yourself. And even if you do insist on going to a partnership, get a freaking airtight partnership agreement drawn up by a competent lawyer that is going to ask you all those tough questions like, what if you die? What if you have kids? What if you want to move into the different country? What if the studio closes? What if, you know, whatever. So all of that stuff. And, and then you have to think about liability, right? So um, just say the studio does go bankrupt and, um, you, know, if they, you know, even if you're a limited liability company, Anytime you take a lease on equipment or a premises or whatever, they always make you sign something called a joint and several liability, which means mm-hmm. that, say, so basically you waive your directorial um, <laughs> uh, sort of privilege as you know, limited liability companies. Like they're saying, you say, you're like, no, nope, I, I waive that. I step out from behind the corporate veil. You can come after me personally. Um, and it's joint and several, which means that uh, any creditors can come after anyone or all of the the owners for the full amount owing. So if if you and me are in a partnership, Josh, and our business goes belly up and you know you've got a five million dollar house and I live in a you know plastic garbage bag on the corner of the street, well, they're not going to come after me. They're just going to come after you for the full amount, right? So we're not bearing equal risk unless we go in with equal assets. Correct. And that's what I, I see that a lot, actually, uh, probably not in the Pilates studio area, but partners that have different financial capacities outside of the business. And it always causes issues because not only that uh, with the liability, but there's always one that's wanting to pull money out of the business to fund whatever they're doing. And the other one's like, I don't need the money. I want to leave it in there and grow the business. Mm-hmm. So these are things that come up after a number of years, not necessarily at the start. Right. All right, so uh, partnerships beware, but they can work. There are some I've seen some work. All right, yep. what is there another thing, or are we? Is that are those the are those the big things? If you get those right, position, modelling, financial advice, and don't don't go in with a partner. <laughs> if I do all of those things, am I am I virtually guaranteed to make a quarter of a million dollars a year in my fourteen or fifteen bed reformer studio? I've got one more, uh, and it's it's. I've, it's, I've got it written here, passion versus passive investment. So if you're going into something to eventually create a passive investment uh, versus someone who's going in because they're passionate, I always see that passion trumps the person that's going in for an investment. Uh, and it sort of it does move into the franchi- franchising debate a little bit because the franchisers will sell their products as it can be like like it can be a passive investment but the operators who are involved love what they're doing continuously upskill are genuinely care about their clients it doesn't franchise or not they are the most successful operators yeah and you know like everyone listening to this is going well fucking duh you know like <laughs> of course when you give a shit about your clients and you're passionate about what you do and that's everybody who's listening to this but i think that um, my comment on that is that I think that passive income is a myth. I don't think it's a real thing. I mean, I think, all right, if you're Warren Buffett, maybe, but um, if you start a business, uh, passive income is not a thing. 
I think you yeah, totally. and especially if you're running a Pilates studio or right. multiple Pilates studios, it, you right. have to be involved. Right. And yeah. you, you can absolutely leverage your income. You can make multiples. You can add more zeros to your income for sure by working even fewer hours. Like you, you can make, yeah. you know, $750,000 a year in fewer hours than it takes you to make $100,000 a year. Like that's definitely a thing. But you can't, I don't think passive income is a thing. Like if I stepped away from my business now, yeah, I'd make good profit this year. I'd make okay profit next year and the year after that would be out of business, you know? Like- yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what happens too. They, uh, yeah, the, yeah, especially in the franchise situation, it, it always starts off with a bang and probably because the owners are a little bit more involved. But after 12 months or two years, it's almost it's dire in what I've seen. Mm. So, all right, so, I, you know, something I haven't, you know, has been conspicuously absent from what you've said um, about these really big rocks, like what are the big levers that we can pull on? Like what are the things that we need to get right if we want to give ourselves a maximum chance of maximum profit? It's like we've got to choose a good location with a starving crowd who can afford to pay for our hot dogs and we've got to get some good financial advice and not just like like from a financial advisor, I mean like from a strategic financial advisor, you know, like a CFO basically. Well, um, someone that's had experience and, uh, in your niche. In your niche, right? Someone who knows, you know, small business and particularly like small fitness business and preferably small Pilates businesses yeah. and yeah. knows the tips and tricks for young players and the pitfalls and what percentage of your revenue should be spending on marketing versus, you know, customer service versus equipment upkeep versus whatever. And they can look at it and go, oh. normally we only spend 8% on marketing in the best studios, but you're spending 12%. You know, what's going on with that? I think we need to cut back there or you know, maybe you're only spending 4%. Maybe that's why your numbers aren't very good, you know. So maybe you need to spend more on marketing. And, and so someone with that experience and someone who can model out and you're saying, and you say like, you know, and I know this is the case for a lot of people and this was me as well, is you, you look at a premise and you think, oh, I fall in love with it. The light's so beautiful, the floorboards, the, you know, the ceilings, everything's beautiful. You know, there's a cafe around the corner, everything's beautiful. But you don't measure it up and go, oh, shit, we can only fit 11 reformers in here, you know. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Um, you, you just look at it and go, oh yeah, it's so great. But then you need somebody and, and you want to show it and you want to ask people's opinion, but guess whose opinion you ask? Oh, other people like Pilates instructors and your parents and your friends and whatever. And they'll go, oh, it's so beautiful. Look at the light and the, you know, there's a juice bar around the corner. And, but yeah, you need someone to look at it and go, oh, I wonder how many square feet it is. Oh, let's map out, let's cut out some paper reformers and put them on a scale model and fill out, figure out how many you can put in. Oh, there's a pillar there. That means you can fit in one less reformer. So yeah, all right. So I said, oh, you're only going to make you're going to make five thousand dollars a month loss when you're at full capacity, you know. <laughs> like- yeah. And just on that as well, when you're picking someone to help you with that advice, pick someone who you know is got the confidence to have the hard conversation with you, yeah, and not just tell you what you want to hear because yeah. you know the hardest ones for me are often the most valuable. Yeah, it's not never nice, but yeah. Like that time you told me I had to let go of like ten people. Well, yeah, there there was that, yeah. But, uh, you know, luckily I think everyone's better off for it uh, when you look, you know, a year down the track. Uh, definitely so because if we hadn't of, those 10 people would have been out of work along with all of the rest of the people in the company <laughs> and along with all of our clients as well. So yeah. and that look, was with, definitely with, good advice. With COVID and the interesting conditions over the last two years, I've had lots of those conversations. 
And, you know, in, in every case, the business is now better off for it. But at the time, it was really hard to hear and deal with. So you, you need to have that person that's going to have those hard conversations. And I want to, um, and, you know, it feels like we're almost at the end here, but there's something that I want to add in there in relation to that. And and, and I'm just thinking about our, our experience of that uh, time. This was kind of towards the end of 2021 uh, that we, you know, we're doing great in, at the start of 2021, uh, one point we had about a half a million dollars in the bank, in our business account. And basically now Mark Zuckerberg's got it all. Um, and, uh, you know, that was towards the end of last year, sort of maybe October last year, you came and said, look, yeah, we're, you know, if we keep doing what you're doing, you know, <laughs> we're headed for the rocks, we need to do something different. Uh, and, and you actually said like, we need to save this much money per month. And here's how I recommend we do that. We cut this much off payroll. We cut these vendors. We, you know, whatever you didn't sort of say, I recommend these particular people or anything, but you said, you know, we need to save this much money. Uh, and if we don't, here's what's going to happen. Um, and you know, that was a tough time, you know, for everyone in our company, you know, it was not fun for you know, obviously for me to have to let people go who I loved and respect and love working with, obviously not fun for those people uh, and probably not a lot of fun for the people remaining because they're sort of, you know, got survivor guilt and they're worried about their jobs and whatever. But the thing is in, you know, what I learned from that was in, even in like the darkest hour and we were like, we had literally zero dollars in our bank. You know, we were from $500,000 in the bank. We were down to zero and we had drawn on our overdraft, which thank Christ you advise us to get an overdraft when we had lots of money. Cause <laughs> um, the, here's, a, here's a business secret for you folks out there. The best time to borrow, is mo- borrow money is when you don't need it. Just take that to the bank. Spot on. <laughs> um, so if you're doing real well now, go borrow some money, get an overdraft, get a line of credit. Um, don't use it. Just use it when you need it. But when you need it, they won't lend it to you. I'm telling you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, right, and, and as a rule, I say make sure you've got three to six months worth of expenses set aside for, a, you know, your rainy day fund if you want a, yeah. a rule of how much you should have sitting there. Um, so, yes, lucky we had that. Yes. Um, and so anyway, so but the, I guess the big point that I, I – the big lesson for me from that time was – from that advice that I got from you and, you know, you showed me the numbers and explained what, you know, okay, if we save this much, here's what happens. If we save that much, here's what happens. Like we had those, we had a couple of really tough weeks. We had to let people go. We had to talk with the people who we didn't let go and explain what was going on and whatever. And, you know, that was, that was a glum time. But four weeks later, we made like $80,000 profit per month. You know, we made $100,000 profit last month. And it's like you are only a few tough decisions and a few tough conversations away from a fantastic business you know like doesn't matter how shit things are you can fire that shitty client you can get rid of your premises that's in the wrong part of town and get a better one in the right part of town you can change your pricing you can change your staffing you can you know you can dissolve your partnership you can renegotiate your partnership like you don't you don't just because you've been putting up with something for ages and it's really really impacting you and it feels really hard and complicated and it's well-established problem doesn't mean you can't solve it in two weeks yeah as long as you as long as i think we avoid the hard conversations and the hard decisions until it you know it becomes so painful that we have to do something about it right right and i think the the key you know uh 
the key benefit to me of having you as a financial advisor, Josh, is I get to I get to see what's coming up. You know, so I get to make those decisions where, you know, before I've driven off the cliff, you know, <laughs> when I'm like starting to, you know, like drift towards the edge of the road a little bit, you're like, hey, Raph, you're drifting. I'm like, oh shit, I am. <laughs> right. But <laughs> so um, it's, it's, it's so much better when you've got a little bit more time to make these decisions in a more of a cool, calm, collected space. It's not a like out and out emergency. We have to do it yesterday or we're all dead. Um, so yeah, so that, that is the benefit. You can make much smaller course corrections and mm. get, you know, a great <clears throat> result when you don't, you know, if you're like already halfway off the edge of the road with the front wheels, you know, spinning in above the abyss, it's like, <laughs> it's too late for, you know, minor course corrections at that point. <laughs> Um, yeah. but if you catch it when you're just starting to drift, you can just make a small correction on the wheel and bam, you're back on the middle of the road again. Yeah. And I just think it can be so lonely in that leadership position if you're just going it alone and you're sort of, you've got your same pro- thought processes and the same things you look at to aid your decision-making. But uh, I think having, yeah. you know, a, a model or a financial model or, you know, another set of eyes looking at it just gives you more information yeah. to make better decisions in a timely manner. And it's yep. that is a massive yep. success factor in in business, any business. Yeah. Um, all right. So if you uh, started, so something that's, you know, glaringly omitted, you know, from everything that you've shared is like you haven't mentioned any like specific numbers, you know, like, oh, spending more than 8% of your revenue on marketing or whatever. So is there anything in there? Like, do you notice like <clears> ratios <throat> of numbers that like, you know, the best studios pay a certain percentage for staff or marketing or rent or whatever, or is it all about much of a muchness? Yeah, it's it, it really does depend on, you know, how much you're paying your staff and, and things like that. But overall, the studios that are doing better, you know, probably 10% of overall revenue on marketing is around the um, – sorry, yeah, up, yeah, 8 to 10% I think is a good marketing spend depending on your area. I've got people that spend so, so if, you know one so if you're making a hundred if you're making a hundred thousand dollars a year you should be spending eight to ten thousand on marketing basically I think so yeah yep and that but that's to enable growth if you want to get to three hundred right. and then and once you've sort of hit the hit your capacity you would back that marketing spend off and probably right. put it more into your I suppose con- increasing care. your customer's lifetime value. And that would be yeah. so. The yeah. other studios that do really well are the ones that invest in training of their trainers. So workshops, mm-hmm. continuous education, getting together, spending the money on growing as a team. They by far are the better performing studios. Hmm. I would have thought. I would spend. You know, if you if you're doing if you've got a seven hundred thousand dollar revenue studio, uh, I would say another probably thirty to forty thousand dollars into your trainer's continuous development would be the number that the, the best studios are doing. Right. And so that's correlated with a you know, couple of hundred thousand dollars a year extra revenue potentially. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the ones that aren't doing that have higher staff turnover. So you lose all the IP right. and you, you're bringing fresh yeah. blood in every time you're training them up, then they leave, then you get the right. fresh blood in. So you've, you've got higher member turnover then as well. Right, and we know that from um, the Ursa surveys, which uh, we've got for twenty twenty one, which which say that the one of the biggest predictors of member turnover is staff turnover. 
um, because when the when the, when the favourite trainer leaves, like the client's like, oh fuck, you know, so and so is no longer here, no longer teaching me anymore. I'm going to go elsewhere. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I think there's three critical departments or success factors: sales and marketing. So you want to invest in that. Um, your finance department. I think you should invest in that, and I think your investment might be ten to fifteen thousand dollars a year into your finance department. And the next one is your trainers and customers customer experience. Uh, that might come into your lease expense as well. Uh, you know, depending on your location and what the space is like. But once again, if you're a seven hundred thousand dollar revenue studio, or you want to be, the max you'd spend on your lease is is ten percent or seventy mm-hmm. grand a year. So seventy thousand on uh, sixteen hundred square feet. Uh, what's that per month? Got your calculator there. Yeah, <laughs> Definitely should have my calculator. Thousand divided by twelve. That's uh, fifty eight hundred a month, and seventy thousand divided by sixteen fourteen square feet is forty three dollars a square foot. Yep. Any any more than that, and you're just putting pressure on. Well, you're increasing your break even number, mm-hmm. and so there's there's less cream at the, at the end of cream. the day. Yep. Yep. Uh, all right, so uh, you know, eight to ten percent of your gross revenue on marketing, uh, sort of twenty or thirty thousand. So what's that? Five percent of your, if you're on seven hundred thousand, you know, that's like three to five percent of your revenue on staff training um, for the year. Yep. yep. Uh, and uh, then rent no more than ten percent. You know. Yep. Um, and so that would be if you're renting a you know fifteen bed space, you know, 1,600 square feet, 150 square metres, no more than 70 grand a year, so 5,800 a month or whatever we said. Uh, anything else? Um, when we when we talk about that sales and marketing spend, that could be your spend on ads, but it could also be a resource, like a staff member that you're paying $50,000 mm-hmm. a year to make the calls, to improve the, star, uh, the, the customer experience, to do the follow-up. So it's mm-hmm. not just ad spend it's maybe probably a staff member on 45 or 50 like a part-time role mm-hmm. plus ad spend and mm-hmm. that's going to get you a really solid sales and marketing department mm-hmm. um and what you said about customer lifetime value is so just to translate that's the customer lifetime value is the total spend that a, that an average customer um spends and so the, the way to calculate that is super easy if you've been going three years say as a studio you just go okay how many new customers have we got in the last three years what's our total revenue in the last three years total revenue divided by number of new customers is the average revenue per new customer for the last three years um yep. and then you so if you know or a new you know the average customer is you know because obviously some people are going to be worth twenty dollars and other people are going to be worth five thousand dollars but it's going to average out somewhere so if the average customer is worth like a thousand dollars to you well you know that uh if you can and, and if you get like you know 200 new customers a year, right? Well, if you can take that up from $1,000 to $1,200, like you, that becomes a massive increase in your yeah. uh, in total revenue, which almost all of it goes to the bottom line because you, you know, it goes to profit because you've already paid for your fixed costs. So, and the way you increase lifetime values, you want you just keep your customers longer, right? So if they don't, if they don't cancel, they, they keep Why paying. Why are they it. leaving? Yeah. 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 Um, and the other thing is you can sell them more valuable services, you know, sell them small groups, sell them one-on-one, sell them, you know, whatever other, you know, add, add-ons you provide, um, you know, if you have massage or whatever else, you know, sell them more valuable stuff to make, make their, make it, you know, give them better 
results and give you more profit per customer. Yeah. I think look, if, you, if you're looking for some metrics or KPIs for the sales and marketing, I think how many new customers walked through your door in the last month? How many of those people signed up to a membership or bought a pack? And then you start to see how many are converting. Mm-hmm. And that, that's how you know if your sales and marketing team is is worth the spend. Mm-hmm. If you then want to go on to your customer experience and lifetime value, it's how full are your classes? How many classes do you have on your schedule? Um, if they're never full, uh, then, <laughs> you know, you, there's an issue with the experience there and you need to skill your trainers up to, yeah. to do better classes. And I don't know if you – you probably don't track these numbers, but um, – I know from other sources in the fitness industry that really like a, a churn of sort of 5% or less is is good. So basically churn, churn yeah. is yeah. like the, the number of, you know, the percentage of your total client base who cancel or leave every month. So just say you've got 100 you know, clients who've got current passes. If five of them cancel this month, that's a 5% churn. Um, and if 5%, five cancel next month, that's 5% again. Um, so if, you, if your churn's 5% or less, that's you're doing awesome. And if it's yep. like ten percent or more, you you've got a problem. <laughs> and if it's yeah. if it's above fifteen percent, it's an, basically an emergency. You've got to fix that. You're going to exactly. die. <laughs> it's a bleeding yeah. neck. Yeah. <laughs> um. And and what about conversions? Because I know what our conversions are, but we don't sell Pilates instructors. Like we don't we sell Pilates instructor training, not Pilates classes. Do you have any benchmarks for convert sales conversions? Well, yes. That my best fitness studios or Pilates studios would convert. of people that do a one-class trial or a a three-class trial. Um, So 80% is phenomenal, I think. You know, eight out of 10 people would sign up. Um, But, you know, the the average would, I would hope to be around 50%. Right. And if you're doing under 50%, there's an issue with your onboarding or your initial customer experience. Right. And also, yeah, so not just the experience though, but also the selling skill of whoever's conducting yep. those sessions and the process part of your onboarding has got to be how do we get this person into the right you know ongoing product you know whether it's a pass or one-on-ones or membership or whatever to meet their needs so that you know so basically at the end of their three trial sessions they're like holy shit this is amazing how do i get more you know yeah exactly exactly <laughs> um and and you're like oh well i'm glad you asked because you know we have these options <laughs> uh all right uh I think what about pricing do you have any, do you have any of that information like you know packs versus memberships like average cost mm. per class that kind of thing so i'm i'm a big advocate for direct debits to start with uh, so that's but like, a direct debit that's automatic withdrawals from the customer's account i think i, I can't yeah. remember the reason i say that is in america i think they call them something else <laughs> i can't remember what they call them but basically right. yeah, we so bill you there's an automatic fortnightly uh, drawing out of your account. It's, That's every two weeks. Say, you know, you yeah, know, um, a lot of Americans well, have said to me, "What's a fortnight?" Yeah, it <laughs> it comes. I think it's a British term. It comes from fourteen nights. It's a contraction of fourteen nights. Uh, and right. they used to back in. If you read like you know Charles Dickens novels and stuff, they talk about a sin night as well, which is a seven mm. night. You know, in other words, one week. Anyway, so anyway, that's an Australian and Europe. Uh, I think UK term. Americans do. We just say every two weeks. I think that's what we'd say. Yeah. So uh, let's look. Let's talk a weekly. Let's talk a, on a weekly basis. I think fifty to seventy dollars per week would entitle the participant to two to four classes. 
So if you break that down per class, I, I really think, you know, the average, you know, after sales, I think people end up at around 15 to $18 per class in a, in that 14 to 16 bed environment. Whereas I think to be really profitable, you need to get that up to about 22 to $25 yeah. per class. 100%. Yeah. Um, but people sell, people just, um, yeah, you've got to value the product. And right. as soon as you give it away for free, you're basically telling the client that you don't value your own product. Yeah. Uh, and you're training them. It might be that easy, easy initial experience, but then you're training them that you you can do it in the long term and it, it never ends well. Do you have a view on unlimited memberships? Oh, if it's a, at a premium, you would just assume they're doing six sessions a week and charge accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, so it would be like 120 bucks a week, 140 bucks a week, yep. something like that. Yep. Because they obviously value what you're doing, so they're prepared to pay that. Right. And it's so weird that, you know, it's such a thing in Pilates. And I think, you know, here's what I think it is. I don't know if I'm right, but this is just my end of one perception of this, that most of us in Pilates don't make good money, right? So we personally couldn't afford $120 a week. (laughs) So we think, oh, fuck, that's way too much. You know, no one can afford that. It's like, yeah, people can fucking afford that. There are people that pay $120 for a fucking cup of coffee, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Well, they, you know, people, you three or four cocktails on a weekend and, right. and would cost you that. So it's, it's what are their priorities? What and are the priorities? Once again, if you're in the right demographic and the right area, uh, I think you, you'll come out on top. Right, right. Um, all right. Uh, and you're going to, think? You're going to share yes. that uh, spreadsheet, the model, um, so we'll yeah, link to that in the show notes as a Google Doc. Yeah, I'll share one. So I've got one that looks at direct debit, a direct debit business model, and one that looks mm-hmm. at a, a PAX paid up front business model. Yeah. Uh, so you can have a play around with those and see what works out best. Uh, but I'm definitely an advocate for the direct debit. Yeah, and I think I know why. And, and t- tell me if this is the correct reason. Like in our business, we do direct debits, right? So we, we you know, just about all that. Some of our customers pay up front, but, you know, mm-hmm. you know at least half of our customers go on a direct debit, they pay off monthly. And what that means is even if we have wildly fluctuating sales months, so one month, you know, literally, you know, I think, what was it, April this year, we did $660,000 in sales. And, you know, June, we did like 330,000, like literally double, you know. (laughs) Um, But our actual cash collected each month was about the same. Right, because exactly. because where every you know every those six hundred sixty thousand dollars worth of sales, they didn't pay us the six hundred sixty thousand in April. They all paid us their first down payment, and then they're going to pay us off over the next twelve months or six months or whatever it is. And so, the when you have an amazing sales month, you, your cash flow is about the same. When you have a shit sales month, your cash flow is about the same. When it's Christmas, your cash flow is about the same. You know, if you go on holiday and close the studio for a month, your cash flow is about mm-hmm. the same. You know, so it's basically you can predict your you can predict your revenue pretty accurately absolutely so that is the number one benefit i think the other benefit would be the decision to leave is on the client they they actively have to say right the default is they stay the default is they stay until they decide to leave right correct Uh, the other way around you are constantly having to resell to these people and they can go elsewhere which is fine and if you really back your product and back what you're doing it works out okay but the onus is on you to make the sale continuously right. and so i would 
yeah, the sales spend is much higher in those studios mm. than what mm. it is in the direct debit studios. And I think if 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 you're listening and think about like there are products, right, where if your service was cut off, you would straight away, like just say your credit card was declined by the phone company, right? And they cut off your phone. You're like, you would straight away you know, be on the phone to them sorting that out, right? You wouldn't go, oh, I'll fix that next month, you know. But just say your credit card was declined and your Pilates pass didn't, you know, and you thought, oh, well, I'll just buy my Pilates pass next month. That'll be fine, right? Yeah. You, you, it wouldn't be an emergency, right? Just say your internet, you know, went down or something. It's like you would fix that shit. <laughs> so, but I don't think Pilates is in one of those categories for many people. And if you've got clients like that are like that in your studio, like congratulations, you are selling crack cocaine. That is awesome. You know, you must be doing an amazing job. Uh, and yeah, you know, all power to you. But I think for most of us mere mortals, uh, our clients love us. Our clients love the classes. But let's face it: if you know the month were tight, it would be easy for them to just not repurchase. Whereas if that direct debit's already coming out and they're like, oh fuck, you know, it's really, you know, we're tight this month. Let's cancel the Pilates. And then look at their terms and conditions. It says, oh, we need a month's notice. They're like, oh fuck it. You know, by the time <laughs> by the time we give the notice, we'll get that next check anyway. So who cares? And might as well leave it going. So the default becomes they continue to pay you rather than the, the default is they stop paying you unless they take action. Exactly. And I just think, and then people say, oh, that might be unethical. I, I don't think so at all because we're improving these people's lives. Right. And, right. you know, we're giving so much to these people. We're just, we've set up a process that is in their best interest because if they're paying, they're more likely to come along. Right. They're more likely to get the benefits, et cetera, et cetera. So I think you know, we're acting in the best interest of our clients by doing that. 100%. If you think, you know, if you listen to this and you believe people should do Pilates, well, get them on a direct debit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Where where the upfront does work is if you've got waiting lists weeks in advance and they have to buy the upfront pack to book in, uh, that's where it can work. Yeah. And and packs are good if you need quick cash. Like if you're like, holy shit, yeah. I can't afford to make payroll this month or whatever. <laughs> it's like, oh, let's have a special and sell some packs, you know, because you can make some yeah. money right now. Um, exactly. But, um, you know, pro tip, and, you know, I'm sure none of none of you out there are dumb enough to make this mistake that I've made. But um, when you sell a pack, make sure you put a use-by date on it because um, <laughs> otherwise <laughs> you have, you know, it's a liability. You've sold a pack, it hasn't been redeemed, it's got no use by date, it's a liability, um, comes off your balance sheet and uh, when you're going for a loan or whatever, it's like the bank's going to look at you and go, oh, you know, <laughs> your balance sheet looks pretty that shit. Is, that is a great tip. Yep, definitely put a yeah, a three-month three month or six-month time limit. Yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of not unlimited anything. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, even if someone wanted an unlimited membership, I still wouldn't do it. I would do like, well, how many times do you want a week? Come, like six, five, eight, you know, okay, let's set up an eight times a week membership for you, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because in my in my original studio, we had we had people, like we didn't audit one time, we had some like 10 or 12 people who between them were coming like 160 times a week, right? <laughs> it was crazy. They were coming like, many of them were coming to like two Morning classes enough. back to back, five oh. days a week plus one on the weekend. So like crazy, you know, just crazy yeah. stuff. And it's like, man, you those guys were just using like, you know, one, they were one fiftieth of our customers, but they were using like 15% of our total capacity. It was insane. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And, 
and they were ending up paying us like you know two dollars fifty a class per person. So it's like they were doing an unbelievable deal, just like insane, yeah, crazy. Get the heck out of here! And you prices. wouldn't you wouldn't notice it if you weren't at capacity. I mean, it's right. good to have them right. in there because it gets the vibe going and it's right. great. But when you get to capacity, it's like, oh, hang on a second, this right. isn't you're right. stopping a full paying person coming. Right, and you're thinking, oh, so and so is one of our best customers here all the time, always. Loves it, always gives us a high five. You know, it's, yeah, but they're paying fucking two dollars fifty a class. Yeah. They're not your best customer. Yeah, they're your worst customer. Oh, hey, <laughs> one more tip, uh, which I learned: look at your prices every six to twelve months and bump them up considerably for all members. It doesn't matter if you've got a member that's been with you since day one that's still stuck on the ten dollars a week plan because you're too scared they're going to leave if you increase their price. You've got to put the prices up and especially with inflation and everything else yeah. going up, you're totally justified to do that. Yeah. And I would say 10%. Look at a 10% price increase every 12 months. Yeah, and the good news is if when that $10 a week person leaves, they'll be replaced by a $70 a week person. Spot you on. Yep. <laughs> and you'll be like, why the fuck didn't I do that three years ago? Yeah. Um, so another tip for young players, you know, and this is a mistake I've made, you know, when you open up your studio, don't sell foundation memberships that have a guarantee of this price for life. You think it's great now, but when you're fucking full in and, you know, you know, bursting at the seams in two years and you're turning away people who want to give you $75 a week because you've got this malarkin paying $10 a week, <laughs> a guaranteed yeah. for life, you'll be so cursing yourself. Fuck yeah. what it is and actually on our financial models, we've got a section for foundation memberships and- the lower you set that number, um, you know, it can be quite detrimental to the overall model. So it's it's really worth looking at that. Yeah, don't make any promises to life, for life to anyone yep. for anything. Like don't give unlimited passes with no use-by date. Don't give foundation memberships with a guaranteed price for life or guaranteed privileges for life. Just like don't guarantee anything for life. Um Hold on. Because you're almost certain to regret it at some point in the future. So you know, like when you got when you got no clients, that ten dollar a week person looks pretty good. But when yeah. you've got like two hundred seventy five dollar a week clients, that ten dollar a week person looks like a real party pooper. Yep. All right. Uh, is there anything else? I think we've just about covered the the big rocks. I mean, there's a, there's a lot to it un- mm. underneath everything. But I just think you know. Having someone with you, another set of eyes looking at your numbers, uh, investing in those important functions within your business, getting the area right, getting your pricing right, uh, making sure you're in it for the right reasons, you know, passion over just looking at the at the potential profit. Um, I, I yeah. think I think though, and I hundred percent agree on that. But I think for our audience. Uh, only people who are passionate about Pilates listen to this show, I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah. And so lack of passion is not going to be an issue, but lack of financial nous is going to be an issue. <laughs> so I think um, I would say for all of you listening out there, I love you. You are fucking awesome. And get your fucking shit together financially. Like, you know, I know <laughs> you're passionate. You read a and l a balance yeah. sheet, and a cash flow forecast. And if you're looking at your bank balance at the end of each month as a way to tell you whether you're going well or not, well, you need to talk to someone. Yeah. Uh, all right. Um, I think that's I think that's it. I think we've given you, like, I mean, if you're listening to this, we've literally given you the recipe of how to make $250,000 a year in net profit. 
right? Open up a 15-bed reformer studio in 1,615 square feet, pay no more than $70,000 in a nice – and you don't have to have street frontage, right? You, you can be on the first floor or in a back street or whatever because peop- you don't get many passing trade. People find you on the internet or through your Google ads or, or whatever, right? So you don't have to be on a main road in a prominent location necessarily. Um. Uh, so yeah, set up, but set up in a suburb or a locality where there are plenty of your target demographic and your target demographic should be people who one, have a painful problem like back pain or menopause or whatever, and also have money and the will to solve that problem through Pilates. And don't worry if there are already three Pilates studios in that area, because that probably is going to increase your success rather than anything else because it'll just mean there's more awareness of Pilates around and more people are vibing on it. And it definitely shows that it's an area that can support Pilates studios, you know, where people can afford to pay for Pilates. So that's cool. And then get some good financial modeling. Uh, you can use the spreadsheet that Josh is going to share, but get someone, you know, if you, if you're not already competent, get someone who is competent to look at it. And even if you are competent, get someone else to look at it who's not emotionally invested in your decision and get someone to look at it who doesn't give a shit about how beautiful your studio is or anything. All I care about is how much profit you're making. <laughs> um, and, uh, you get, and, and listen to their advice, <laughs> listen to their advice. Um, and, uh, then we said, there's a few little things in there that you can probably, uh, make some notes on, like, you know, spend eight to 10% of your revenue on marketing and sales, you know, aim to convert 50% at a minimum of the people who do you like intro offer, whatever that is to ongoing, you know, packs, you know, aim for churn, definitely under 10%, ideally under 5%, you know, per month cancellations, prep, uh, you know, set up your pricing well. So you're making like 22 bucks or more per session on average. And that's on average. So if your packs are priced yeah. at $22 each, you're not averaging $22 cause you're giving right. away intro things and you whatever. So it's going to like, if you're priced at 25 a session, you might average 22 a session. Mm. Um, well, and you know that, that special you do, uh, 10 classes for 50 bucks, right. uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, you've just brought the average way down. Way so, down. You know, sales yep. and detriment. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, price, price your memberships so and your packs so that the memberships are slightly more attractive, but still averaged out at that 22 per, you know, so make the packs a little bit more than that, for example. Um, and uh, get as many people onto memberships as you can because that smooths out your cash flow and also means that you're probably going to have a higher lifetime value because those people are less likely to cancel. Did we get it all? I think we got it all. Yeah, that was great. All right, that's <laughs> that's your recipe for how to make a quarter of a million dollars next year. I'll probably think of about five more things after we uh, wind it up, but I think you know we might have to have another one somewhere along the line. Yeah, well – when you think of those things, let's get you back. <laughs> and um, out there in uh, the Pilates stratosphere, if you've got questions, thoughts, comments, differences of opinion, you know, experience that runs contrary to this, whatever, uh, you know, reach out to me on social media, reach out to Josh, we'll link, link him in the show notes, uh, let us know. But you know what? Like if you're thinking like, oh, this doesn't apply to me because my local area is dot, 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 right? Now I did say at the start, okay, if you're living in like a one horse town in the middle of Timbuktu or something, maybe this doesn't apply to you. But I think it kind of does because it's like, well, look at the demographic. If there's not, if it doesn't, if if the demographic of your local area doesn't match, you know, a suitable target market, well, it's not a place to set up a studio. 
Uh, and so go somewhere that is, and it might, it might be the two horse town, you know, 50 miles up the road <laughs> that you can set it yeah. up in or the regional capital or whatever. Um, but if you're in a big city and you're thinking like, oh, I'm in a depressed neighborhood or whatever, it's like, well, get to another freaking neighborhood, you know, like set up, and you can continue to live in your depressed neighborhood if you want, <laughs> but don't set your studio up there because they call it depressed because it's depressed. It's not going to work. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. So, uh, you know, I think it does apply to you. And if you're in a, if you're in a small town or if you're in a place where it's like, oh, they haven't heard of Reformer Pilates or was like, well, at some point they hadn't heard of Reformer Pilates in Australia. Look at it now. You can be the first mm. one. And this could probably apply to Matt Pilates. Like if you're in, I don't know, Munich or Paris or, you know, wherever, you know, Matt Pilates, fine. No problem. You know, it's like, it's just, or spring walls or whatever, you know, like it's just group movement sessions yeah right yep same formula yeah and if if we you know if we took out pilates and said crossfit instead it'd be the same no different yep yep sorry folks <laughs> there, there are some differences obviously between pilates and crossfit but from a financial <laughs> perspective <laughs> yeah if you're just looking at the numbers they, they they're pretty similar right all right well that's good to know all right well thanks so much josh this has been so awesome and uh, i look forward to our next convo yeah thanks for having me raf after two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily i've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the clinical exercise specialist rehabilitation inside the program i'll teach you to do three things one deeply understand how the body works Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our uh, link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.